I'm going to start from Joshua chapter 1, NKJV. Joshua chapter 1, let's start from verse 1. We're going to look at verse 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, now please, today, Ignite Church, we're going to preach this thing together a little bit, okay? Now, the death of Moses, Moses is who has, is Moses described here? The what? Servant of the Lord. Come on again. How is Moses described? It came to the past that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, what did God say to him? Verse 2. Moses, what, what did God say? My servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, to the land which I'm giving them, the children of Israel. So today I'm speaking on, the, very briefly, on the, the character of effective leadership. The character of effective leadership. This is very important. So let me lay a foundation. This is part one. The first foundation I want to lay here, and I'd like you to listen to me very carefully, is that God has called you to be a leader. That's right. God has called you to be a leader. Now listen carefully to me. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 21, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 21, the Bible says, God said, let us create man, 20, sorry, verse 26, pardon me, Genesis 1, 26. Let us create man in our own image and after our likeness and let them have dominion, dominion. Let them have dominion. In verse 28, and God said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it and have dominion. The word dominion there basically means reign over a domain. Okay? The word dominion there means reign or be a royal or rule over a domain. It means to be a sovereign. A sovereign over a domain. Okay? A domain is a field. It can be both, it can be either physical or virtual. Reign over a domain. The dominion mandate that God gave to you, and it's male and female, because verse 27 tells us that, that he gave to you the dominion mandate. It's in you, you're created in the image of God. That's why you have the tendency to want to take charge. Because there is in you. You have to do something to be trying to repress that mandate. That mandate is a leadership mandate. Now, now, Listen, somebody said, well, if all of us are leaders, then who's going to be a follower? That is wrong thinking. Listen carefully. All of us are followers and all of us are leaders at the same time. So somebody said, how does that work? It works. You are a leader in your field. So if you are uh, a medical doctor, all right, and you're my family doctor, and I'm your pastor, and here I am, I'm your pastor, this is my field now that God has called me into. So I'm leading you because this is my field. Then on Monday morning, I have an appointment with my family doctor and I show up in your office. Guess what? If I want the best for myself, I have to submit under your leadership in that office. Is that correct? So when you say to me, um, uh, Pastor, please, can you uh, stand on this scale? We want to check your weights. I can't say, why are you talking to me like that? Yeah, that means something's going to be wrong. Uh, you know, my, my dentist is in this church. 
So I, I understand that very well. I'm his pastor, but if I have to go and do some cleaning and polishing, is that what they call it? Cleaning and polishing on scaling, the scaling. Uh -huh. on, on the Monday, you know, the dentist chair is the summary of submission. <laughs> when you sit on the dentist chair, you say, oh, pastor, can you have to know, pastor, how are you doing? I say, I'm fine, having a good day. So, all right, sit down, pastor. And I sit down. He doesn't even say anything, he just presses something with his leg. The next thing, the chair goes down. I'm just saying, oh, hello, how's family? The next thing, you lay horizontal. They say, Pastor, please, open your mouth. You open your mouth, you just bring something. You have to submit. And if you don't want to submit, they have things to help you submit. <laughs> they have things that they can give you. That you Even you also, if you're a wise person, when you go into the dentist's office and you take a look around, you see a drill, you see some things that look like nails, some things that look like pliers and a few things, you say to yourself, I better submit. Because if I don't submit, uh, something, something else might happen here. So you submit, but when it comes to church, he submits here. So he's leading in his field, I'm leading in my field. So I submit to you in your area of endeavor. You submit to me in the area I have been called into. That's how we are both leaders and followers together at the same time. Does this make sense to you? All right, great, great. So this is, so you're called to be a leader. Ephesians chapter 3 Write it down, verse chapter 2. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, You have his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. These good works is what will glorify God. These good works is the field God has called you to. He expects you to shine in that field. God expects to get glory as a result of his deposit in your life. He expects people to, what that means is that God expects people to thank him that you exist. God expects your life to so touch somebody that people say, oh, Father, I just thank you for that young man called David. Father, I thank you that I came across that guy called David. Oh, Father, I just thank you for what you used David to do in my life. God expects that to be some people's prayer point. Are you still with me? What's the name? Sorry, I can't hear Osei? Osai? Osei. Okay. So, God expects you to say, oh, Father, thank you for Osei. I thank you for what you're using hard to do in my life. You know, God expects people to meet with you and express thanksgiving to God because of the import of your life. Now, having laid that foundation, quickly, please listen to this. Right now, the world, if I ask you right now, what are the common most notable problems in the world. I mean, you start naming them. There's the political problems in the world. Just look at America. They cannot agree on anything. In a, they can't even agree on the spelling of America. Is that bad? They can't agree on the color of the flag of America. They, they, they fight. They, are, they fight and they are fighting over everything. And you know, it's amazing that at one time it was about inter party fights, Republican versus Democrats. Right now, it's intra-party. Everybody's fighting everybody in America. Nobody can agree on anything. You know, they are very powerful, financially successful, but if you cannot agree together, the Bible says it's better to live on the rooftop than to stay in a house where they strive. If you come into Canada, you look at the leadership problem, our prime minister says, okay, we're going to have truth, truth, 
Truth. Truth and Reconciliation Day. It's going to be Truth and Reconciliation Day, 30th of September. On his own personal agenda in Ottawa, he says, I'm going to be having meetings today. And the man was in British Columbia on holiday. This just happened. This just happened. True. And he was caught red-handed in it. <laughs> you look at Africa. You don't even know where to start with that one. The people don't even understand the difference between a cow and a human being in Africa. They think a cow is more important than a human being. You know, in Africa, they, they exhibit what is called shameless living. I'm talking of the leaders. Shameless living. How can a leader that lives in an environment that has the capacity to transform an environment and doesn't do anything feel justified to leave that environment and step into another country to get medical help. It doesn't, it doesn't, and they don't even feel ashamed. They're taking photographs. I'm in London for medical treatments. How can you be in London for medical treatment? There are millions of people that are dying. You have the right to do something. You're not doing anything about the hospitals there. But you see, their own case is different. Let's not talk about them. Can we talk about, can we talk about ourselves here? Yeah, 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 because the case is kind of a different case. We have problems in Haiti. You know, in the southern hemisphere, we have problems in Mexico. You know, in, the, in Latin America, people are ready to jump fences. They're ready to take journeys that half of the people that take that journey die. To come from Guatemala, to come from all of these places, El Salvador, to be able to get into the U.S. People are ready to do anything. I saw the picture of the other day of a man that took the little baby, handed it over to an American Marine. In Afghanistan, don't know where that baby is going to end up, but that's fine. People, when the planes were leaving Afghanistan, people were, oh God, people were clinging on to the wheels, clinging on, and hiding away. I mean, there were, there were videos of people falling off the air from a plane. You know, you can't, I mean, you know, and they know they're not unreasonable. They know that you can't hold on to the wheel of a plane from Afghanistan, from Kabul, and get to, get to Qatar. Where they're taking them. You know, but everybody knows you can't do that. But it's just desperation. Why? Because leadership has changed. So, may I submit to you then that the problems the world has is manifesting as financial, tribal, strife, and political, and all of that, but it's actually a problem of leadership. All of this is as a result of leadership failure. Please listen very carefully to me. That is why you are going to be the next set of people now that will be rising up and filling those positions. Right now, right now, you are sitting as a judge and a jury with your phone on social media and <laughs> criticizing all these people. Oh, that's wrong. No, that's bad. Oh, I'm disappointed. Oh, this and that and that. In a few years, you are going to be the ones occupying the same position. So right now is the time when you start understanding effective leadership as called by God so you can be effectively lead people. You can effectively not just lead people, but effectively as a leader, take people to where they have not been they ought 
to be, but they don't want to be. That's what leadership is. Okay? So you want to be able to do that, but it doesn't come just by growing up. It comes by training. So I want to share with you certain principles that are biblical. May I say to you that this is not an indictment on anybody that has studied philosophy or leadership or any courses like that. I've also taken a lot of those courses. I've been to Stanford University. I've done executive education. I've done the master's degree in another university in England. I've done a few of these courses. And they've been extremely helpful. But you might want to write this down. There are two main categories of leadership development. Write this down, please, because it will help you to help you categorize and know what, what it is. Two main categories of leadership development or leadership training. Are you ready? The first one is the training on techniques. Techniques, or you can call it technical training. Techniques. The second one is the training on character, character development, character development. The first one is the training on what? Techniques. And the second one is what? All right. So let's talk about the techniques for a while, for a minute. So because we're going to do all of that, I'm going to teach you all of that also. Techniques is where you, they train you that a leader needs to have a vision. Vision is the heart of leadership. It's the heart of the matter. If you take the heart out, there's nothing called leadership. Vision. A leader needs to have a vision. A vision is a clear picture of a better future. A leader needs to have that. And I'm going to be praying for you here when I do that teaching here for you, how to catch a vision. A leader needs to capture a vision. Okay? Conceive a vision. We call it vision. That is the first thing in technical training. Then a leader needs to learn how to communicate a vision with people, to set them on fire. Communicate. Some people have vision, they don't know how to communicate the vision. And when you say communicate a vision, it doesn't mean that you have to learn public speaking and you're doing TED talk. That's okay. But that's not just, it's not just about that. Communicate your vision. You want to buy a house? All right. You have this idea, I want to buy a house. I want to buy a house and be an investor. And you have to communicate with the broker. That's your vision. You want to buy it. But you've got to communicate with the broker. You've got to communicate with the bank. You are uh, very good. You, and what do you do? Are you in the financial, financial world? What do you, what do, you do? You work as... Oh, all right. Fantastic. So that's what you do. Now, guess what now? You have to communicate with prospective people that want to engage you in that field. You see that? So to communicate that, you, so when people say, oh, you know, I, I, I'm well-trained, and I, I go for interviews, I just don't know what's going on, I don't get a job. You have to learn how to communicate, not your needs, but the value you can add. Leaders never communicate needs. Managers communicate needs, not leaders. Managers always start with, these are the res we have, we need resources. This. I need these resources. We have gaps in our resource requirement. Managers manage resources, so they communicate need. Leaders don't communicate need. 
leaders communicate value. Write it down, please. But I will explore that when we get to that point. Leaders communicate value. You will see, you've had me, some of, some of you are here, you've had me for years. You can't see me communicating need. I always communicate value. I just did that now. When I communicated man to man. You saw that. I didn't tell you what we needed. We need this, we need this, we need this. No, I just told you the value you're going to get out of it. And I leave the rest. That's inspirational leadership. Okay? That's communication. Then leaders also are involved in team building. Jesus Christ recruited his disciples. Let me say something to you. Jesus Christ went around. He saw two men in the boat, the Bible says. They were the sons of Zebedee. They were with their father. They were fishing. And he says, follow me. And they took the net, left the net, left the boat, left their father, and followed Jesus. The question is, what did Jesus say to them that made them leave their father, leave their nets, leave their boat, leave their profession, and walk and follow Jesus? Levi was working, Matthew, that wrote the book of Matthew, as a tax collector in the office. He was a senior tax consultant. <laughs> okay, the Bible doesn't say that. I added that. You know, he was working there, due for promotion. He about to get promoted. And Jesus walked to Jesus and said, hey, hello, hi, Matthew. Yeah, follow me. And Matthew said, just give me a minute. Went to his boss and said, hey, hi, boss, can I come in? Yeah. So, can I just give a minute? He said, yeah, what's going on? What's up? Uh, have you finished? No, no, no. Can I just say something to you? Today's my last day. Huh? What do you mean today's your last day? We have a meeting this afternoon. He said, I know, I know, I know, I know, but I'm leaving. I'm quitting. And he said, um, I said, I've just, I've just sent you an email. If you check the email. Thank you so much for everything you've done. See you. Hasta la vista. And, and walk out of the place. Matthew, and follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus, where are we going? Uh, haven't you read the story of Abraham? When God called him, he did not know where he was going, but he followed him. That's leadership. You have to understand that what Jesus did, was not, it was not spirituality. That was leadership. So we're going to explore that. What did Jesus say to them? We're going to find that out. So leaders is about recruitment. Somebody says, you know, <laughs> it's amazing that in church sometimes you put people in a volunteer group and you say, these five people are going to work with you. Three months later, they come and say, Pastor, we need people. <laughs> so what, what do you mean by you need people? All the people that are in my band, all of them, they don't want to work. Everybody's giving excuses. They've all gone. I'm the only one left in the department. I will need more people. You see, that, there's a gap in leadership. If that happens. There's a gap in leadership. There's nothing wrong. You're just coming up. We can train you on that, to know what to do. So leadership, that's the first thing in technique, vision. Second thing, communication. The third thing, sorry? Team building. The, the, the fourth one is training. How to train the people that are around you. Okay? The fourth thing in technique is training. 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 And training is a lot more expansive than we think it is. Because you can't train somebody that does not have two things. The first is innate desire to be a better version of themselves. Innate desire. If you put me in a class now and you want to start training me about something to do with some serious level of um, abstract uh, space engineering, you're wasting your time. So, Pastor, you have a scholarship and we're going to train you in the best place for for so space engineering. You're wasting your time. I'm not interested in space engineering. Okay? I don't have the any desire in that particular area. So you have to, first thing is, the person must have innate desire. 
the second, which is what gives them the passion to want to learn in that area. The second thing is that they must have, they must have the capacity, the capacity, okay? They must have the capacity to learn. That's the, that's the major qualification. Capacity to learn. Not everybody has capacity to learn. Some people just are not, they don't, they don't want to learn. So a leader understands that in the book of Luke, chapter four, in the book of Luke, okay, chapter uh, 6, verse 40, Jesus told us, he said, a disciple is not above his master, but he who is perfectly trained. Like, so Jesus believed in training. He believed in training. He trained his disciples for three and a half years. Then he unleashed them. Leaders believe in training. Okay, we're going to speak more to that in a few. Then one last thing about technique of leadership is planning. Leaders predict the future through the process of planning. Leaders control the future through the process of planning. Listen to me. You should be a co-creator of your future, not a spectator of your future. You should be a co-creator of your future. In other words, God is the master creator, but you're part of the design team. You know, if you have... Uh, okay, let's take... Um, we're, we're in Mississauga now, right? So let's take Celebration Square. Okay, let's take all that development taking place. Or let's take... Mississauga is known for condominiums. So look at those condominiums. Uh, what, give me a name of one of them. Sorry? Admiral? Absolute. So you look at Absolute right now. I can tell you, if you look at Absolute in the construction, if you research the construction, it can tell you, for example, as an example, that the architect involved was um, one Mr. Just as an example, okay. Let's say his name is um, James. The architect is James and Co. Uh, you know, architectural firm. But it does not mean that the only architect that drew the whole thing is James. He was the lead architect, but there were other architects there that had inputs. Do you agree with me? Come on, do you agree with me? It's the same thing God wants to do. That idea came from God. God wants to take your input before he puts his stamp on it. So, and your input is given to God. You submit your input to the Holy Spirit through your planning. So God doesn't, listen, God doesn't want you to get to your future and you're surprised completely. You can be surprised because you're like, oh, Father, I wasn't expecting it this much. I was expecting this. I didn't expect this. But, yeah, you can be surprised about the quantity and the quality of what God has done. But you should not be surprised about the design of what God has done. You should be a co-designer of your life. And that happens as a leader through planning. You sit down and you plan what the future is going to look like. In that process of planning, you are giving God input. Input. Many people know how to make requests of God, getting the final product from God. They don't learn how to submit their input into the planning process of God. To say, the first five years of my life, this is how I want it to be, through planning. Leaders do that. Okay, leaders do that. This is very important, both in terms of financial planning of your life, okay, career planning, if you're a business person, business planning, relationship planning, very important. 
Very, very important. If you're dating somebody right now, there needs to be a part as you go on. Don't just wing it along, you know. What are you doing tonight? Oh, nothing really. What about you? What are you doing for Thanksgiving? Mm, nothing really. All right, I think we can just hang out with some of my friends. All right, I'll do that. Don't just wing it and wing it and just eat popcorn and eat popcorn and watch all the movies in this world. And Netflix is making a lot of money out of you. Or Amazon Prime is making a lot of money out of you. And Bezos keeps on going to the edge of space and coming back and says, I want to thank all of you that have been using Amazon Prime. Well, is that not what he said? That's what he said. That's what he said. You know, he comes back and he has a dust. Oh, you know, I've not been doing anything. I've just been relaxing. I went to, I was so bored on earth. I went to the edge of space. Thank you, all of you subscribers, for sending me to the edge of space. He had the dust. Because anyway, I like him because he said the truth. <laughs> he said the truth. And here you are, you're just, can I have another one? Put, put another one. So the, then they'll tell you, episode one, season one, episode one. <laughs> so, then he says, you know, in 15 seconds, loading episode two. Say, ah, please, let's, <laughs> let's watch that. Loading episode three. I told you my story. One day I was just, I don't know what happened to me. I was bored many years ago, about four years ago, five years ago. Then, well, you know, my daughter, you know, she has this, uh, I don't know if I should say this out there, but anyway, my daughter has this thing on Netflix. So I asked her, so what was your login? So I logged in anyway. So I watched this documentary, Israeli military documentary called Fauda. So I watched it. Ah! I loved it in season one, episode one. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I watched the next one. I watched the third one. Ah, fourth one. The, the thing was good. Then they would stop it. The cliffhangers were bad. They would stop it where I'm just like, oh, okay, let me just watch this one. Just one more. It's just 35, 35 minutes. I watch it. Okay. Then I watch it again. Then, oh, cliffhanger. I saw, God, okay, let me just one more, one more. Until it was 7 a.m., 6 a.m. or so. And I went to bed. Tired, exhausted, unproductive. <laughs> I got to bed. I was so disappointed with myself. Feeling so condemned. Anyway, I slept. You know what? Following the thing, I said, let me, that one I did not finish. Let me finish it. <laughs> so what, I got, what delivered me was that once I put it on like this, in I started suggesting to you, he said, because you watch Fowder. He <laughs> now started loading others for me. I said, eh, because I watch Fowder. So you were tracking me. I said, no, not me. No, no, not me. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. I said, not me. Because I watch Father. Eh? Okay, I'm not watching again. <laughs> so I took control of my future again. I said, no way. So you know, I told this story to my wife. My wife said, why would you do something like that? Huh? You, should, you should know. I said, I know. I don't know why I did. So then they told me another season of Father was up. So I said, okay, are you going to be ready tonight? Let me just watch another season. Are you ready? She said, yeah. I said, we just watch only one. I will go up with discipline ourselves. She said, yeah. So I watched one. I said, okay, let's go down. She said, let's just watch two. I said, <laughs> I'm telling you a true life story. So she watched the second one. I said, I'm, I'm tired now. I'm going up. It's 1 a.m. now. I said, I'm going upstairs. She said, I want to watch the third one. She was there. I left her there. She watched the whole thing. She said, so when she came up with the following day, I said, so what happened to you? She said, I don't know. I said, you see this? Thing? <laughs> I said, you see this thing? This is how this thing is. This is how this thing is. You and I must understand this is the power of this. So you have to learn these techniques, okay? What's the first one again? Vision, communication, team building, training, and what? Planning. You plan, you are part of those that is. I'm going to teach on this as we go. But today I want to talk to you briefly, and I'll complete it next week Sunday, about the character 
Yeah, I'm going to wrap up now in 10 minutes. The character of leadership. And what I want to just show you one thing here is this. Go back to Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Quickly, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. The death of Moses, the what? Please say that word again. Come on. Come on, at the back, say that word to me, please. Now, I'd like you to see how God describes Moses in verse 2. Look at how God describes Moses in verse 2. Go on, verse 2. Moses, this is God speaking now. Moses what? What did God call Moses? Now, let me ask you a question. If I ask you, who is Moses in the Bible? Somebody, some of you will say, some of you that are very spiritual. We say, well, he was the one that gave the Ten Commandments, and it's true. He delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, the Exodus. It's true, right? Come on, right? Moses was a lawgiver. That's right. Moses was like a prince in Egypt. That's right. Moses is this, Moses is that. But some of you will say, okay, in the context of our class this afternoon, Moses is a leader. Is Moses a leader? Somebody that led about two million people. Is he a leader? Come on. Do you think Moses is a leader? How many of us agree that Moses is a leader? Fantastic. That's true. You're right. Moses is a leader. But let me say something to you. God, please understand this. God never described leaders as leaders. Please understand this. This is a very powerful revelation for you, to help you. God doesn't describe leaders as leaders. By now, you should guess. What does God call leaders? That's right. And this is the balance you will need to have if you're going to be very effective. All the people we see in the world today, all the things I've told you, they're having challenges to have leadership problems in the world today is because of this lack of this balance. God, leaders are leaders to people but servants to God. Oh, please, this is very important. If you're writing, write it down. You might not need it today, you'll need it tomorrow. You will understand this. Leaders are leaders of people but servants of who? So, by implication then, your first, first, first point of accountability is not your line leader. It's not your manager. It's not your team lead. You work in the project in CIBC. You work on a project in some firm. Your first line of accountability is not your boss. Your first line of constant accountability is God. I'm not saying that you don't report to your boss. What I'm saying is that whether your boss is watching or is not watching, you know God is watching. So you always do your best. Because God is your first line of accountability. This helps you to build the character that will be required so that when you get to the top of the pyramid, where you're no longer micromanaged, you can still be effective. Because the higher you go, and the more resources, in terms of human resources, financial resources, and all of that is committed into your hands, the more you need to see yourself first as a servant of God before you see yourself as a leader of men. 
Does this make, is this making sense to anybody? Joshua was about to lead the children of Israel, and God was giving him the formula. God was basically telling him, Moses was the servant before he is a leader. If you don't follow that pattern, you will not be successful in your leadership. You know, it's amazing that research, when I went, when I went to school, uh, you know, to, to study, they taught me this, that research today has found out that the best kind of leadership is what they call servant leadership. But they still don't get it. They don't get it. And they say it's a servant leadership, and they've done a lot of research, and they found out that the most effective leaders happen to be, they have this combination. If I, this guy taught me when I was in Stanford University, the guy that wrote, um, Jim Collins, that wrote From Good to Great. Okay? You know, built to last. He, he actually taught me at Stanford. And he said, you know, they did all this research, and they found out that the people that have been able to take companies from being a good company to great companies were leaders that have this, this special character traits. This character trait is trying to describe is what I'm teaching you right now. It's in the Bible. It's the character trait of people that the world system calls servant leadership. But basically what it means is that you are the person that is humble before God and confident before man. Write it down, please, if you're writing. Humble before God and confident before men. It's the type of leadership that starts with humility, not with bravado. It does not start by looking at the pecs of the office, but starts by embracing the responsibilities of the office. So, they say, oh, you know what, David, congratulations. Oh, congratulations, David. Oh, you're now the new team lead. Oh, come on, David, congratulations. There we go. You know, David's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And David's like, oh, God, this is a big responsibility. They say, come on, get off in mind. It's going to be good. Look at the pecs of the office. You're going to get a new electric car. And David's like, yeah. I'm going to get in there. So you're going to have this, you're going to have that. You have opportunities to travel three times in a year to anywhere you want to go in the world on business class. That's what they see. But David is not looking at that. David is thinking to himself, responsibility, responsibility. I've got to deliver the project on time. I've got to deliver the project under the budget. I've got to be with scope. I've got to do all of this. I've got to manage stakeholders. I've got to do all of this. He's thinking, I've got to get this done. The last three project managers that have worked or program managers that have done this, they've not been able to do this. They didn't deliver on time. I've got to do this. I've got to get this right. And David is thinking all of that. Are you following that? It's humble. It is this humility that produces something in you that is invincible that makes people want to be around you. It's a very important trait. Moses, my servant, Moses, my servant, Moses, my servant. Not Moses, the leader, but Moses, my servant. You must understand that concept. Okay? And I'm going to talk about that, like I said, a little bit more next week. But for today, I want to say this to you. One of the signs that you have come to understand this concept of servant leadership that Moses my servant, and you will see it in the story of Joshua, is worship. Worship. You know, Joshua was about to start his leadership. God told him, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. 
That is the template. He was a leader, but he's my servant. He was a leader because you were his assistant, but he was my own servant. He's dead. This is the template. Then Joshua was about to do the first project. And he was successful in doing 31 projects. But he was about to deliver the first project called Jericho. When he got to the wall of Jericho, he saw a man. And he went to the man with bravado, which is what happens to every young leader. Say, hey, are you for us or are you against us? Brought out his sword. The man said, please keep your sword. The man said, please put the sword back. He said, I'm the commander of the host of the heavenly army. I should be asking you the question if you are for me or not. Are you ready to follow me? You thought you were leading the people. I'm the one leading you. So I'm invisible. I'm leading you so that you that you are visible can lead the visible people. They will see you. They won't see me. But if you don't see me, then you can lead them. Joshua said, I'm so sorry. Please, what do you want me to do? He said, take off your shoes and start worshipping. So Joshua did, took off his shoes quickly. That was in the Old Testament because that's the way of and started worshipping. Listen to me. You have to understand, every leader must understand, particularly you that you're a born-again Christian, in the kingdom of God, before you can lead men that are visible, you must submit under the God that is invisible. And that submission process, part of that submission process is through worship. Another way of saying it is this. If you are too big to worship, then you have taken yourself off the school of the people that God can lead. And if God cannot lead you, it's only a matter of time before you find out that the people will not follow you. You know, it's amazing that when I was young, I was living in the country of Nigeria, <laughs> the American president was like God. I remember when I was young, growing up, you know, I was in, in the university when um, Reagan, Ronald Reagan was president. Then I, was in, I remember I was in the university, in, you know, when George H. Bush, Bush the father of because George W. Bush, who was the vice president to Ronald Reagan, was contesting with the man in the Democratic Party called Dukakis, Michael Dukakis. It was in, in the 88th election. I was in the university. I remember very clearly. You know, it was a lot of... I mean, when the American president stands, during the first Gulf War in 1990, when George H. Bush who stands and says, Saddam Hussein has been given this number of days to vacate Kuwait, and if he doesn't vacate Kuwait, then they will have to push him out. I mean, when the American president speaks, that's it, the whole world shakes. Right now, the American president speaks, and people yawn. Uh, even right there where he's sitting, they ask him, they just, he says, are you sure? People just yawn. Nobody believes that. Who believes the American president? The American president cannot even speak, and his own people believe him. Who will have thought that the American president, I mean, do you know how much of a big deal it was in those days for somebody to be invited to the White House? It was the height of somebody's career. Wherever you are, you are invited to go to the White House. I mean, that's in the White House, White House. It's almost like you're going to God's palace. Now you have people win basketball, NBA teams win basketball. You know, championships, and they invited to the White House, particularly in the days of Trump, and they say, oh, sorry, forget about the Trump. We're not coming to the White House. Really? Who cares about the American president? The other day, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, some months ago, 
he was in a place doing something. Somebody gave him a dirty slap. Eh? The president. French president. Number one citizen. A slap. This thing is serious. One day I was saying to myself, I said to myself, I said, one day, somebody's going to there and pull, up, pull down the pants of one of these presidents. I said, if I was there, I would better be wearing a nice boxer shorts. Because nobody respects these people anymore. And because these people have gone far away from God. When you, the more you move away from God, the more the people you're leading will seem to be rebellious. What they will be interpreting as rebellion is actually not rebellion. It's because they're breaking a law. You cannot punish disobedience until obedience is fulfilled. It's a spiritual law. It's a spiritual law. So I want you to understand this. This is a very important concept. So worship is a critical part. Let me encourage you. As a Christian, you have an advantage. Use that advantage. That advantage is called the Holy Spirit. Another name for the Holy Spirit in the Bible is the helper. It's there to help you. Worship. Have what is called genuine worship experience. This genuine worship experience in you submitting to God helps you to bring the atmosphere of heaven around you. You know, let me close by saying this to you. On the Mount of Transfiguration, maybe the lady that is on the scriptures can let me find the scripture. In Matthew, on the Mount of Transfiguration, after Jesus transformed, transfigured, before three of the disciples. The Bible says the cloud covered them. And the voice came. That's it. Thank you. Matthew 17 verse 5. Look at what the voice, voice said. I'm going to stop here. What, was, what did the voice say? Let's read it from the quotation mark. Three, two, one, go. This is my beloved son. In whom I'm well pleased. What happens again? Please, can we do the second time if you don't mind? I love you so much. Three, two, one, go. This is my beloved son. In whom I'm well pleased. That's God speaking. Now, what this means is this. When God said then, he was speaking publicly, he said, this is, God is invisible, right? God is a spirit. He said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Once that mandate came, everything had Jesus. Whether it's living thing, non-living thing, whatever it's going to be, they hear him. If God releases this mandate on you, your team will hear you. Wherever you go, they will hear you. Whatever demand you make, it will hear you. When you go for an interview, they would think they're the one leading you. You are the one actually leading them. You tell them, this is what I want. They say, oh, we, want, we want somebody to start in November. You say, oh, November? What time in November? You say, November 3rd. You say, oh, sorry. I have a date on that day. I have something I've already planned. What have you planned? It's your pastor's birthday. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I was just joking, but you know, it, it's so it's, it's they say, Oh, I can't start on that time. I have some vacation that's booked. This you looking for a job. And they say, Oh, somebody we really want you. Please, when can you start? But just know we have a process here that we're working on. We're going to be getting across to you within the next two weeks and so on and so forth. You now start because they are hearing you. They are hearing you. A mandate has come that they have to hear you. You go for a mortgage, they say, Oh, you know, we looked at this, and actually it would have been better if your, you know, if your income had been about $50,000 more. Where are you going to get $50,000 more? You know, 
so, so, so how am I supposed to do that to tell you I don't know, but anyway, I'm still gonna send it to our risk department and see what they say. But normally they won't they won't give you this mortgage. Do you have places where you can get a second mortgage or something? Are you looking into that? And you tell them it's okay, still send it. And they send it and the risk department says, you know what? We've looked at it and we're gonna do this. Because they hear you. I, I'm not telling you feedback of my imagination, I'm telling you what has happened to me. In Lenwood Drive, that's what happened to us. They told me that uh, the whole project at that time, this was 2004, it has to be one point, it has to be, it has to come out to be um, two million dollars. The Royal Bank was going to give us 1.2 million. Our equity was going to be 800,000. So it was going to be 60 to 40 loan to value, LTV. Loan, 60%. Value, equity, 40%. That's it. If the value is, is the value, the overall value of the building is less than 2 million, Royal Bank will not give us the 1.2 million we're looking for. 2004. Then we got the appraiser. Royal Bank gives you this approved people there, right, to come and do the appraisal. So they came to check the building. And it happened that the guy was an immigrant, an Indian guy from India. So he came and saw me. I was so happy as an immigrant. So I said, oh, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm fine. I said, do you want coffee? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave him coffee. Sugar? You want milk? He said, do you want more coffee? You know? So anyway, the guy went check the whole thing. I said, so this is going to be more than two million, right? The guy said, well, I'm going to check it. I said, I think it's more than two million. <laughs> you know, so basically telling the guy, like, this thing better be more than two million. Because I don't have any other option. Anyway, the guy went, checked the thing. I'm telling you a true life story. 2004. And the guy showed up with the appraiser. I opened the envelope, checked the appraiser. I still have it with me. 1.8 million. After all my tea and coffee, I sat down. Then I remember Psalm 137, or the song that Bonnie M sang, by the rivers of Babylon. When we sat down, I sat down. Push. I thought, God, what is this? 1.8 million. These people said 60 to 40 percent loan to value. You were here, you heard what they said. <laughs> All this guy needed to do is make this thing two million now. What is going on here? Where am I supposed to get this rest of the money? I can't get this money. I was thinking. Then I realized, if God has said they should hear you, it doesn't matter they will hear you. So we submitted the application. I'm telling you a true life story. 31st, 31st of December 2004, Royal Bank came back and said, fantastic, we'll do it. We'll give you the 1.2 million. They gave us 1.2 million. We closed the transaction for Lenwood Drive. That's the, the renovation and all of that. When we were about to do another transaction later on, the vice president for not-for-profit um, sector, non-profit sector invest in Royal Bank, came down to House of Praise the day we were closed, didn't, were, didn't, going to do another transaction. And met with me, and I told her this story. She said it's not true, that it cannot happen. That it cannot happen in Royal Bank, that they have a system that is, so I said it happened. This is it. I said, go check. He said, no, 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 it cannot happen. Then she went to check and came back. She told me, she said, you know, I don't know what happened. I said, I told you. I told you. This. I said, but I know what happened, but you don't worry. Because God said, hear him. Now, whether it's the computer that I had, or the man or the woman operating the computer that I had, somehow they heard. <laughs> Friends, this is a true life story. This is 2004. This is what happens. You have struggled too much because you don't have a mandate that thinks you hear you. But the, set, the condition is that 
I am well pleased. And part of that well pleased is that you have been a worshiper, a true worshiper. Friends, don't let worship, don't let it go away from you. It's not, you know, sometimes when we want to worship uh, you know, in church, someone like David now that is sitting in front, you know, he's a cool guy, red-blooded, you know, and he's thinking to himself, you know, I like that girl that is sitting on the other side. She's going to be watching me, looking at me, and I sing this song, and it's my song. And normally when I sing this song, I'm jumping to the right and jumping to the left, but I'm just going to be cool, man. I'm going to be cool because I just kind of like maintain my decorum, you know, a little bit. Because I'm, last week Sunday, I asked this girl for her number. She gave me a number. I spoke to her once in a week. I'm still thinking all that conversation. I've forgotten scripture. But I'm thinking about replaying all that conversation in my head. No, 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 no. This happened to me. This happened to me. It happened to me with Topsy. The first day I met her, I don't know. She gave me a number. First time I called her, I spoke to her on the phone. Some things she said. When I went back to church and were putting the lyrics of the song, I couldn't see the lyrics of the song. All that was in my head was that conversation. I was just thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. So maybe you're doing that. <laughs> and here we are. The guy's not worshipping. What you don't know, you're missing out. You're missing out a divine recommendation that God will give you. That when you step into the week, a word has gone into the week that thinks you hear you. 